You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. You guys, to our Easter service, um, we're so thankful that you're here. I remember a year ago, uh, it was like COVID-19 was fresh, right? And we were sitting in our living room with my family, and it was live stream only for Easter for the first time ever um, in my lifetime. So, man, it's so good that we can gather here today and be united, um, flesh and blood, you know, three-dimensional creatures um, together. And so we're, we're so thankful to have you guys here he is risen. Christ is risen. <laughs> yeah, you can go with that. and We'll do it again. He is risen. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so when I was a kid, it, this, I, I screwed it up just now. The senior pastor would do, he is risen, he is risen, and then the last time he would say, Christ is risen. But you guys are, you follow along well. All right, go team. First uh, Peter, oh, wait, 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 before we dive into our text. Did you all notice uh, all these beautiful pictures? Yeah. And uh, so big thanks to Laurel, who, yeah, give it up for her. Um, she, she didn't take all these pictures. She took some of them. Um, she hung them all with Jackie's help and maybe Justin's help too. And so these pictures just are um, a snapshot, pun completely intended, of... Um, who we are as a church. We are all about planting churches among neighbors and nations. And so these pictures represent what we should be praying for, making disciples, planting churches among neighbors and nations. So you'll see Madison, you'll see Ecuador, you'll see North Africa. And so as you see these pictures, as you're walking around our building, um, let's be a praying people that we would enact and live out the mission that God has given us. So thank you so much, Laurel. And she also did the uh, new shrubbery up here on on the stage. And so, yeah, give it up for that, too. Um, so thank you, Laurel, for serving us so well. All right, First Peter 3 and 4. Let's look at this. This is such a great Easter text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Let's stop right there. Peter here identifies God as a God of great mercy, according to his great mercy. So let's just pause right here and ask ourselves, when you think of God, what do you, what's like the first thing that you think of? Like for me, it's probably transcendence and power, creative power, stars flung into the universe. That's what typically I think of, like, just like my knee-jerk reaction, right? But for Peter, it's his mercy, according to his mercy. So I think it's good for us to ask, when we think of God, is, is mercy the character of God that you think of first? Is that what you think of when you think of God? And did you catch the adjective? That's intentional. His great mercy. It's not just his good mercy or his so-so mercy, his sometimes mercy. No, it's his great mercy. So we might think easily all-powerful. Do we also think all-merciful? 
So I want us to, to try to not gloss over this this morning. Don't, don't miss the, the little words that we're tempted to when we read our Bibles just kind of blow past. There, there's, there's great blessing in stopping and meditating on when Peter says, who is God? He says he has and is great mercy. Who, who's someone in your life that you think of as merciful? Whoever that person is, I would probably venture to guess that you enjoy being around that person, right? Like it's, when you hang out with people that just carry a, a merciful nature, it's kind of like a, a weight is lifted off, right? Like you don't have anything to prove, like you don't have anything to impress. I think of my mom. My mom is a person of mercy. She doesn't hold grudges. She doesn't offer criticism. Rarely ever in my lifetime have I heard my mom utter a critical word of someone. She doesn't put pressure on you. When you apologize, she doesn't hesitate to grant forgiveness and mercy. Like, my mom is a joy to be around in that sense. Who's that person for you? Who's that person for you? Who would you describe in your life as merciful? Well, that's what Peter says God is. Think of that person and then think of God. But even more so, the person that you're thinking of is still a sinful human being. God is perfect in all of his attributes. He's so merciful. That's such good news. And it's simple. But, man, I just feel like if we don't pause and reflect on what Peter is writing here in God's word, we'll miss it. And there's a blessing in meditating on the fact that God has great mercy. So that's the first thing I want you to see in this text. Let's see something else now. In light of his mercy, God did something in the past. See that in the text? He wants his readers to consider their past. Past tense. Now let's follow the logic of, logic of the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy has, check it out, pause, uh, past tense, right, has caused us to be born again. To be born again. Now let's think about what it means to be born again. I think it's helpful to think about this when you're, um, think about a physical birth, right? When you're born the first time, what does that mean? That means a new Human enters the world, right? When my kids were born, they got a social security number. We got a little social security card. According to our government, they exist as a new entity, like population of the United States up one in that moment, right? That's what it means to be born the first time. So what could it mean to be born again? This is very intentional language in the Bible. If you want a, a deeper dive in this, go check out John chapter 3 and Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. That's the Bible's deep dive. But this is just kind of Peter just mentioning it here. Now, in our, our culture, Christ, in, in, sometimes in, in Christian culture, 
in the past you know, few decades, the word born again has gotten a bit of a bad rap. I don't know if you've noticed that. Maybe, maybe it's just my generation. But sometimes people wonder, like, are you one of those born again types? And typically what that means is brash, not listening, um, just kind of a lot of zeal with maybe not a lot of wisdom. Um, like being a born-again Christian is some type of a radical. Let, let's, let's lay aside that cultural baggage for a second and just focus on what Peter's saying, though. When the Bible talks about being born again or having been born again, what it means is, and what Peter is pointing to, is that you become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's another way of saying being born again. I, like the first time around, I exist. The second time around, I exist, but differently. You exist as a new spiritual creation. First birth, physical. Second birth, spiritual So it's a metaphor. To be born again is a metaphor to describe not just the physical creation on display, but this new spiritual creation on display. See, the problem is this. The Bible says that when we are born physically, we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay, that's another metaphor. Dead in your trespasses and sins, meaning I'm unresponsive to who God is and what he's done. I can't make myself just love him on my own. God has to intervene in my life to awaken me. So in that sense, we need to be raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. We need to be born again, spiritually speaking. We need to be resuscitated, spiritually speaking. We need to be a new creation, spiritually speaking. All that is what it means to be born again in the Bible. And that's what Peter means here. Talking to ancient Christians and saying, guys, remember, this is what's happened to you. According to God's great, great mercy, follow the progression, according to God's great mercy, he caused you to be born again if you believe today. So if you believe today, you can look to your past and go, oh, man, God is merciful, and he did something in my life. He caused me to be born again. That's amazing. His mercy is great. His mercy is great, right? So if you want to be born again this morning, that's a great question. Do you want to be born again this morning? Well, in one sense, it's very simple. It's very simple. You turn from your sin and turn towards Jesus. That, another way of saying this is repentance and faith. Repentance in faith. That, humanly speaking, that's the pathway of conversion. I turn from my sin, that's repentance, and I turn towards Jesus. Receive Jesus and what he did for you 2,000 years ago to make you right with God. Believe that your sin separates you from God and deserves a penalty. And that would be separation from God. 
and believe and trust that Jesus came to this world out of his great love for you to save you from your sin and took your place on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in your place as the perfect substitute. All of that shows the mercy of God that Peter's writing about. And to become a Christian, you believe that. And you turn away from your sin and you turn toward Jesus and what he did for you, right? And then you get baptized and you join a local church and you link arms with other believers and start walking the way filled with the Holy Spirit of what it means to be a Christian. And this is just free. It's a free gift. The Bible says it's a free gift. It's offered to anyone. You don't have to clean yourself up. Everybody that doesn't understand Christianity, the default setting is always, well, I've got to get my act together, and then God will receive me. That's not Christianity. Christianity is come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up and make yourself likable to God. Come as you are. Just humble yourself. Come as you are. And God's going to take care of cleaning you up as you come to him, as you find joy in him, as you understand more and more his great mercy for you. So salvation is a free gift. Understand it. Receive it. And this reception changes your life. And Peter is reminding his audience of that. He's saying, guys, this is what's happened to you. And it can happen to anyone here today who's not a Christian who wants to become a Christian. Turn from your sin, turn towards Jesus, repentance and faith. So what do we have in our text? We have that God is a God of mercy. And he's caused us to be born again if you're a Christian today. But then what? Look at what is produced in those kinds of people. Let's follow Peter's logic here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to something. So if you have been born again, you have something. What does it say? A living hope. A living hope. Now, why would Peter want to remind his audience, who's a recipient of great mercy, who have seen the work of God cause them to be born again, why would you remind them of their living hope? Well, we have to be reminded a little bit about who these people were, this first audience of the text. And these are Christians that have been newly converted, the birthplace of Christianity, the Middle East, and ancient Rome is dominant. And ancient Rome was not a huge fan of Christianity, right? And Christians at this time are not exactly at the top of the food chain when it comes to the human experience. They're not exactly dominating the social landscape. They're not the cool kids. They're not the popular crowd. They're very much out of place and on the margins because of their Christian faith. This is just what Peter writes. It won't be on the screen. Just listen. This is what Peter writes in chapter 4 about their experience. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So he's saying it's hard, but it's good. But it is hard. You're insulted. There's fiery trials. You're sharing in Christ's sufferings. That's not exactly comfortable, right? And if there were people who might have been tempted to have little hope in the world, it might be Peter's first audience. Margins of society, no upward mobility. People think you're in some type of weird cult. You don't fit in. You do things differently. Like, at times, that's a heavy weight to bear. It would, easy for, it would be easy for your hope to feel not alive, but dead. But Peter wants to remind them that they have a living hope, not a dead hope. Why? Well, they've experienced something that changes everything. You know how, like, in, in our lifetime, there are moments where you know everything's going to be different. So for me, it was 2001, and I was walking into a college ministry meeting, and, one, and Steve Schwartz, I'll never forget him because of this, Steve Schwartz came up and he said, did you guys hear about what happened at the World Trade Center? And we, no, we went in, turned on the TV, and from that moment, everything was different. Right? Air travel will never be the same, right? When you walk through an airport, everything is different. It'll never go back. That's kind of a sad example of how an event changes everything. A happy example would be for my grandparents, some of you, your great-grandparents, um, hearing the announcement, 1945, the war is over. The war is over. And we've, we've endured some suffering in, in COVID, right? Some limitations, some boundaries, some annoyances, and also, a lot of people have suffered because people have died. That's even more than having my freedom limited, right? But I would venture to say that World War II was even worse. Listen to a description of how life happened and how you could hear that, man, when the war is over, that changes everything. So fear of attack translated into a ready acceptance by a majority of Americans of the need to sacrifice in order to achieve victory. During the spring of 1942, a rationing program was established that set limits on the amount of gas, food, and clothing consumers could purchase. Families were issued ration stamps that were used to buy their allotment of everything from meat, sugar, fat, butter, vegetables, and fruit, to gas, tires, clothing, and fuel oil. The United States Office of War Information released posters in which Americans were urged to, quote, do with less so they'll have enough, meaning U.S. troops. Meanwhile, individual, individuals and communities conducted drives for the collection of scrap metal, aluminum cans, and rubber, all of which were recycled and used to produce armaments. Individuals purchased U.S. war bonds to help pay for the high cost of armed conflicts. So if you're in, the, in that context... For three years, like we've been doing COVID stuff for 
what, 14 months now maybe, 13 or so, but you're doing that for three years and you hear the war is over. Like that's a, a cause to rejoice. That's an event that changes everything. No more rationing, right? No more limits on the gas I can put in my car and on and on. Like that event changes everything. It changes your outlook on life, right? So similarly for Christians, 2,000 years ago and today, what's the event? The event is Easter. The event is resurrection. That's what we celebrate today, right? There's an event that's changed everything. There's no going back to the way things used to be. That's Peter's claim. See, this is the Christian claim. In the Old Testament, it was God came, he saved us, part of the Red Sea. That's God's people in the Old Testament. God's New Testament people, we don't have the Red Sea. What do we have? We have King Jesus risen from the dead. That is the event. And that's what Peter says here. Look at it. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why do I have a living hope, Peter? Tell us. Through something, right? See the words? Through The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying, guys, you have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. Peter, how can you say that? Can you prove that to me? He says, yes. The reason you have a living hope, not a dead hope, is because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus showed that everything he said and and did can be trusted because of this act. Anyone who predicts their death and then experiences it, and then predicts their resurrection, and then experiences it, they should be trusted, right? They should be trusted. Jesus is Lord. He proved it in the resurrection. So what does that mean? It means that God is glorious, and you can find your most joy and satisfaction in trusting him. It means you don't have to fear. It means you don't have to worry. It means you don't have to try to control everything in your world. It means you can relax and trust his promises. See, what it means to have a living hope is that no matter what comes our way, civil unrest, global pandemics, racial injustice, cancer, crisis of of any kind. You can't touch a Christian's hope. Why? Because it's rooted in an event of history. It's rooted in a fact of history. See, our hope in God is untouchable because we know Jesus, because we know who he is and what he's done. He can be trusted because he rose from the dead. Who else has done that? No one, right? No one. No one else has proven themselves in this way. So Christian, listening in this morning, anyone who wants to be a Christian this morning, we are a people of unshakable hope. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he is, then darkness of death 
will one day find a resurrection of light. Jesus is the forerunner. He modeled it. He's the example. And it's just a small foretaste, a small picture of what's coming, right? Listen to what Peter says is coming. This is the last part of our text. So he's just moving this progression from God is a God of mercy. He's caused us to be born again. To what? To a hope that's alive and not dead. Why? Because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And he's saying all of that gives you something to look forward to. Verse 4. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you can have hope right now. And I love this word of inheritance. Everybody knows what that means. It means something I'm going to get later, something to look forward to, something to receive like a gift that just awaits me, right? Something you've been waiting for your whole life. What is that for us as we ache and long for things in this life right now? We long for all things to be made right. That's part of your inheritance. All wrongs made right. That's part of your inheritance. All disease cured. All pain turned to joy. All sorrow turned to singing. Life with your creator, heavenly father, King Jesus forever. That's part of your inheritance. And that will one day be ours in what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. New bodies that finally work right. That's part of your inheritance. Perfect relationship with God and with others. See, the, what Peter's saying is the down payment here is Jesus' resurrection. The foretaste is look to the past, see what Jesus did, risen from the dead, and that's a direct line to your future inheritance. So you can have a living hope. It's as sure as Jesus risen from the dead. So in light of that, our hope is unshakable. You can't hold our hope down any more than you can hold Jesus in the grave. It's one and the same. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for making this text come alive for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again from the dead so that we can have this living hope. May it be true of us as a people. We believe, help our unbelief, and may you awaken us to the reality of the promises that you've given us in your word. And so may we sing with joy and love you and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.